Welcome. I'm Gretchen Keesteidel, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this 10-part series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practice, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Julianne Lee. I'm a publisher. I publish a limited publication series called Ars Vitae on what it means to live well. One way I cultivate my soul is to be open to what life throws in my way and to be humble that I don't have all the answers today, but that I am evolving and growing and I may know the answer tomorrow. We are joined by Julianne Lee. Julianne is the CEO of Julianne Lee & Company, which publishes Ars Vitae, a Korean-English bilingual publication series about what it means to live well. She and her husband, Christian Kruger, also co-founded Kruger & Lee, a Swiss-based nonprofit organization that organizes the annual Spirituality and Science Forum and meditation retreats. She also serves on the board of the Kruger Foundation for Child Aid in India, Previously, Julianne found success as a spokesperson and journalist. She was the first woman to become a solo primetime news anchor in Korea. Her philanthropic work now is focused on providing the wisdom and practices of spiritual traditions for contemporary seekers. Julianne's full bio is available on our podcast website. I know you'll be inspired by Julianne's wisdom about why self-compassion is essential to philanthropy. Welcome, Julianne. I'm so excited to speak with you today about the work you've been doing in spirituality and science and wisdom. I'm wondering, though, if we could start with a story from your childhood. Tell us one thing from your childhood that was instrumental in shaping your earliest views of, of what matters. Yeah, um, I'm not really sure if there was just one incident. I think when I was young, when I was small, I was very interested in creating. I was always writing things, poetry, writing songs, playing the piano. I was more of the artistic type. I did grow up in a family which kind of traces its lineage to very early uh, days of Catholicism in Korea when it was introduced to Korea in the 18th century. So there was certainly the religious background. But I was not myself particularly religious, but I was always very curious about what it means to live well. You know, what is the way to live well? So I was always interested in how does the universe work? What are we supposed to do? And so I became interested in kind of exploring that even in my younger days, reading books about people and trying to see, compare their lives to mine, you know, think about how they live their lives. And is that the correct way for me? Does it fit my personality and my life? So that was sort of my interest. So I would say that from very early on, my interest was always sort of in the inner world and how to explore that. But it wasn't really in a religious way. It was more like, I would say, 
There was certainly the artistic aspect of it. I read a lot and I tried to express it a lot. I was always writing, creating, you know, picture books and so on. So that was sort of my early life. Can you think of one work, one poem, work of art from your childhood that sticks with you now? Mm, that I created? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I remember, you know, when I was like really, really small, like pre-kindergarten, I was always drawing things and my mother was an artist. So I think I got that from her. So she put up a huge kind of a canvas board on one of the walls in our home. And so she kind of left it blank for me to just draw whatever I wanted to. And then I would just doodle, draw things and write little things. And then I wrote a very short poem and I cannot really remember what it was about. I'm not even sure if we kept it. But then she took it to my piano teacher and asked her to put music to it. <laughs> so it became a song. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I don't remember the title. I don't know the, how the song went. I don't even know what the poem was about. But I remember when I was really young, this is like pre-elementary school, I had a song. <laughs> That's all I remember. How beautiful you were encouraged to create in so many different forms. Yeah, now that I think about it, it was kind of funny because my mother put up this huge board on this wall and I was so small that I could only reach like the bottom one fifth of the board. You know, the rest of the canvas was always empty because I could not get up that high to draw. But I really appreciated having it and the fact that she allowed me to just express and, you know, just explore things on canvas or on paper with writing or with art. I think that kind of shaped later on what I do now in my publication as well. Well, I want to ask you about that. Your publication, Ars Vitae, is focused on what it means to live well, exploring this question that you've been seeking since such an early age. In one of those, you wrote that in every life there is a spark of inspiration, however small, that uplifts and transforms us. What have you found as a source of inspiration in your own personal journey as you grew older? Well, there were really many. The Ars Vitae, the publication I created, because from the career that I had prior to that, I felt that I couldn't find a career, a job, so to speak, that perfectly fit what I wanted to do or the kind of inner life that I wanted to explore. Now we're doing a podcast about spirituality and how that influences our work life, our philanthropy, and so on. But now it's, in a way, even trendy to talk about inner work or spirituality. But when I was exploring it, it was not. And being in a typically sort of very highly driven and competitive field that I was in, very male-dominated, it was not really... There wasn't the space to talk about your inner vulnerabilities, exploring your inner landscape, or you know, people to share that with. So after having a very competitive career and sort of a fast track in that career, there came a point when I wanted to make a decision, do I continue like this on this career trajectory where there's a certain gap? between my outer life and the inner landscape that I want to explore and the values that I would like to espouse? 
or do I make some sort of a decision to carve out a path for myself? So that's why I decided to leave my career at a certain point. And then I took some time to really kind of try a lot of different things. And then it led to creation of Arsvite and the shape that it's taken. And along that road, there were many, many moments of inspiration that allowed me to sort of have the courage to leave the, you know, what many people would call a perfectly good career, very sort of sought after kind of career. And one of that was, as I told you before, since I was very small, I was interested in, you know, what does it mean to live well? And how are we supposed to live? And what does that look like? What does the universe look like? Is there some sort of a prescription for a good life? And so I was exploring these questions as I was growing up. And then that kind of inner seeking met a practice. And the first practice that I engaged in was a Taoist kind of practice. And it drew me into the world of energy and how energy is not something that you just talk about. It's something that actually exists in your body. And you can feel it and you can feel the effect that it has on your body and how it can open yourself up and lead to very interesting changes in your perspective as well. And then how that connects to the rest of the world. And then from then on, from that experience, I was led to one teacher after another and one experience after another that opened me up more and more. And each step of the way... I think I found the courage to leave sort of the conventional good career track and kind of seek a life for myself and carve out a way, a path for for myself. So there were many, many, many moments of uh, inspiration that came with these spiritual practices and with the different teachers that I had. But I would say that each moment brought with it the willingness to open up more, that I'm bigger and wiser than what I thought I was previous to the opening up, and a lot of love, which also allowed me to take the next step, the necessary next step, to discover another aspect of myself. That's amazing. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that first experience of having a chance to explore Taoism and energy. What is a practice like in that modality and what wisdom or insight did you gain from experiencing it? Mm, Taoism is actually Chinese. And so I would say it's a version of Taoism which existed in Korea. So I had a teacher and At first, I just went to sort of a group class on Taoist breathing techniques. I wasn't even sure what I was expecting, but I think I always knew. And what I aspired to was that there must be a a state of feeling liberated from all the boundaries that, that we run into in our daily lives or within our own personality, in our interpersonal relationships. I felt that there must be something that is so boundless 
so infinite and so liberating. And then if there are sages and books that talk about that, it must be accessible. And so how do I get there? And so that was sort of my first step, my first try into just trying something out. And I really had no idea what to expect, but only to know that it was accessible enough in Korea. And a lot of people were doing it for health reasons, to live longer, to have lower blood pressure and have a stronger heart or whatnot. But I think my motivation was really, you know, I wanted that sense of liberation. I didn't want to be trapped by the, the limitations of my personality and my habits and my patterns. So I went to this class and I usually consider myself a pretty left-brained person, pretty logical and rational and quite organized in my way of thinking. But I was really surprised to find that I could understand the world of energy quite quickly. And experiences started to happen almost immediately after I, I joined the class. And then the experience, you know, I was so fascinated by it that after class, I would go home and I would practice for hours and hours. And, and then more experiences happened. And each experience was so reassuring and so warm and kind of breaking the barriers that, that surrounded me. In one experience, in one moment, I literally felt that the outer outlines of my body were much larger than my physical size, and I could feel it as if there was a huge bubble around me, and that it could even grow larger, that I was not confined by the size that I am now. And there were more experiences like that. In another experience, I was meditating and you know, being young and driven and ambitious and kind of, you know, trying to accomplish a lot in a very competitive career. I had a lot of stress. And after, I don't know, about two hours of meditating or doing this breathing, I literally heard a voice saying, everything will be all right. And then just all the kind of stress and the tension and the hardness of what I was experiencing just fell away, just shattered away like little raindrops. And everything just flowed, flowed, flowed to infinity. I never thought that, I just thought it would never stop. I, I just felt like I was enveloped in this great energy that was just flowing. And so these were sort of my very early experiences. And at the time, of course, I was just really taken by these physical experiences that were happening. And it, it kind of prompted me to experiment with more things. But now I understand that I'm not to be attached to these physical experiences as such. It's not for our entertainment or, you know, for our ego to be inflated even more. But it did give me sort of the motivation to do more, to explore more and to want to know more. I got chills when you were talking about that experience of expanded energy. Would you say that these practices were the ones that have been mostly, most profoundly transformative for you? Or have there been other things that have led you to deeper personal wisdom? Well, these experiences were just the beginning. And then later on, as my practice deepened and I met other teachers, I had more just phenomenal experiences 
really indescribable. And, you know, in the early days of my practice, these sensations would last maybe an hour or two. And then as years progressed, they lasted longer. And then sometimes they lasted for so long that I really felt like there was a whole profound transformation taking place. But I think the whole process, the whole journey was a a process of evolution. But at the same time, the energy practice and sort of the non-intellectual practice happening on one side. But as I told you, I am pretty intellectual person. I enjoy reading. And it was my encounter with the science research that was happening in the field of spirituality that really kind of caught my attention. And one of the The fundamental questions that I struggled with for a long time around this age, like, I don't know, maybe late 20s, early 30s, was, is life predetermined or do we have free will? And I really struggled because I didn't want to think that it was predetermined. You know, I wanted that sense of liberation, not to be imprisoned. There were books coming out about neuroscience research that was done on brains and the neuroplasticity of brains. And that just really kind of opened my eyes to think the brain that we were born with is not the brain that we necessarily have to die with. The brain is plastic and we're constantly changing. And it's the changing part of our nature that makes life so interesting. And that really opened a lot of doors for me. So I appreciated what science was doing to bring evidence to the kind of spiritual wisdom that has existed for you know thousands of years but making it easier for the contemporary people with you know left brain contemporary people like myself to understand you know and then i got to reading more and more books so i guess these things were kind of happening in parallel to each other the more of the energy experiences that's more intuitive and the analytical, the scientific understanding, sort of, you know, and which induced kind of a cognitive shift that was also necessary. That's a wonderful segue into what I wanted to explore with you next. As you moved through these extraordinary spiritual and even physiological experiences, how did you make a sense of meaning from it? What wisdom was arising for you? And I guess with the exploration of science, is there a scientific explanation for the kinds of spiritual experiences that we have? And do we even need science to help us understand them? Or is the wisdom and insight that we gain from them for ourselves enough? I think, you know, if you think about all the sages that lived thousands of years ago who didn't have the fMRI machines to measure brain activity and so on, Obviously, you know, we don't really need the science experiments to have the experiences themselves. And in the end, it's your experience, your personal experience that gives you your personal insight. So that's very different from an intellectual inquiry or an intellectual gathering of knowledge. Everything that you know for sure in spirituality I don't think we call it knowledge, we call it wisdom, for the reason that it has to be personal insight. It has to come from your personal experience. But having said that, you know, we we live through hundreds of years of now industrialized society where we went through sort of like a factory conveyor belt of education system. 
our minds work like that. And we work in a society that functions like that. And maybe now we're in kind of a transition. So I think what science is able to do is to provide sort of an evidence-based, structured way for us to understand who has gone through this kind of education system, who's gone through, you know, the Western education, the Enlightenment period, and all that the brain can do. I mean, there's been so much emphasis on what the brain can do to understand our own existence, we might as well use that brain to help ourselves to have that intuitive connection to our inner self. And I think science is doing a terrific job. You know, I mean, some people who are very spiritual may say they may discount the intellectual activity. And while I don't think the intellectual activity is the final and ultimate answer to all, but we have developed this mind Our minds may be the monkey minds that cause us a lot of trouble, but it's also a fantastic tool to understand what's going on. So I think if we can use it for the better, why not? Indeed, indeed. Can you tell us one piece of wisdom that you've really come to know is true from your spiritual journey? Hmm. I know you're always asking for the one question or the one moment of inspiration, but I have to say there's so much and one kind of builds up onto the other and it's been, you know, progression and evolution. Or just one thing. Yeah, one thing I could say is that there's a lot of beauty and truth and insight and what seems to be contradictory and opposite things. For instance, I've learned from meditation and other spiritual practices and even reading spirituality-related books that we need to be still long enough to understand how human nature works or how the universe works, but then we have to learn also to be in the flow that There is no such thing as fixed entity. Everything is always constantly changing, even ourselves and everything that is that we're surrounded by. So stillness and flow. We talk about Eastern wisdom, Western science, but the magic happens when the two come together. Um, my husband and I say that I'm the software, he's the hardware. And I think a lot of what's really interesting in life happens in that emerging point of seemingly two opposite things, but are kind of complementary aspects of the whole. Well, that is, that is wise. And these intersections of seemingly two opposite things is so well aligned with our curiosity around the intersection of inner work and outer change or spirituality and social impact. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about what your thinking is about the importance of doing spiritual work in terms of its impact on how we show up in the world and how we can make a more positive impact in social change work or philanthropic work? I think I would have to say that I don't consider inner work or philanthropic work or anything, any work that we do in our outer lives as seemingly two opposite things. I actually consider that as concentric circles, that I have my inner life and the work that I'm doing within myself to be connected to the greater whole. And from there, 
it informs the things that I do on my outer life. And I told you earlier that I had to kind of create a career for myself because I couldn't find in the existing options of things something that fit where I was in my life at that time. So I just created a publication that didn't exist before. But what I wanted to do when I created a job for myself was that I wanted a life where my inner values or my outer life matched my inner values, where I wouldn't have conflict or dilemma between having to choose between my inner values and what I believe in and having to perform or excel at a job. I think nowadays people talk a lot about work and life balance as if work is something very separate from life. But for me, I wanted my life to be integrated with my work or my work to be integrated with my life so that there is a seamless kind of harmony between what I believe in and what I'm learning about myself and the world and how that informs everything else I do. So I don't consider my philanthropic work as something that is opposite of my inner work. I consider that an extension, and it's only one part of my life, of many other things that I do in my life. What I try to do in my philanthropic work is to create a safe space for contemporary professionals like myself who are working in this cutthroat, very you know, competitive world to be able to explore their inner selves and to accept their limitations and vulnerabilities. Because I feel that it's a safe space that I didn't have when I was going through that stage and needed to make a breakthrough. I didn't have the group of people to talk to, to share what was going on inside. Nobody in my workplace really understood. I just felt kind of like the odd person out. And then I really felt a gap between my work and my life, even though the work that I did was always meaningful, but I just never felt that it was quite connected to my inner life to the extent that I wanted to. So what I'm doing now with the meditation retreats that I host with my husband, or even the spirituality and science forum that we do, we always try to make sure that we create a safe space for people to enter and feel that they are protected and they're sharing with like-minded people and they can open themselves up and, you know, see what happens, see where it goes. I would consider my work as sort of planting the seed of spirituality or that connection to the inner self. And so it can take any form. It can be a forum, a retreat, or it can be other types of events. But basically what I try to do is how do we plant the seed and how do we kind of create that small opening so that the seed can be planted and they can take that seed with them wherever they go, and hopefully the seed will grow. Beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit more about the science and spirituality gatherings that you host and the kinds of conversations that are happening within that safe container? This was something that I've wanted to do ever since I started reading about neuroscience and the brains of longtime meditators and, you know, the science of compassion, emotional quotient, and you know, all these exciting research that was coming out. Since it was so helpful for me to understand with evidence, with scientific evidence, 
what I only knew intuitively or what ancient text only explained in a very mystical language. It was almost as if like somebody was deciphering that language with really good quality research. So I wanted to share that experience with people who also need that, you know, who are also kind of left-brained, who are caught in this kind of career where they're not really, they don't have time to explore the softer side of themselves. That's what I wanted to do. And the first time uh, we hosted it was in 2018. My husband and I uh, partnered with another foundation who this foundation has been doing work in this area of giving grants to researchers for a long time. So we were really excited to work with them. And we invited a private community called the Young Global Leaders, which belongs to the World Economic Forum, who are very driven, very talented group of people who also want to do a lot of good in the world. So it was the first time we tried the Science and Spirituality Forum with this group. And because it was already a a community of people who knew each other somewhat and were somewhat like-minded, the conversation flowed from the very first day, from even the welcoming dinner. And people were just really opening up to share what they were experiencing in their lives. And we had great conversations throughout the three-day journey that we had. And what I learned from that was that given the opportunity and the right space and the right setting, people are really willing to dig into these fundamental questions because we all have them. We all struggle with love, life, death, stress responsibility, guilt, shame, all of that. It's all part of the human fabric, the fabric of human life. And so, you know, I I felt, oh, as long as we hold that space in a way that allows people to open up, then we can create magic. And I think there was a lot of interaction happening there. And people are all learning from other people's stories. So what I really like is pure learning in some ways, even more than learning from a teacher, because I feel that we're all kind of on this journey together and we can all learn from each other. Do I understand that the Dalai Lama had an opportunity, you had an opportunity to have the Dalai Lama visit and attend one of your spirituality and science forums? What was that like being in his presence? Yeah, you know, I didn't expect it. I mean, it was one of the speakers that we had invited to our first Spirituality and Science Forum in Rome in 2018, who had been working with the Dalai Lama on his work on compassion and spreading compassion in the world. And after our forum was over on the last night when we were doing our farewell dinner, I mentioned to him, well, it would be great if we could, you know, also invite the Dalai Lama one day and, you know, have a conversation with him. And he just said, maybe we can make it happen. So we started emailing each other. And then the next year, it did happen. So he was so gracious to spend more than an hour with us. We had a small group of people who had come, flown to India, New Delhi, to meet him and to participate on the, the subject of the forum that year was the science of compassion and mindfulness. He was speaking on compassion and how important that is, that we're all social beings that cannot live without the help of other people and how to cultivate that compassion. So that was a really special session. But 
I mean, I never really expected that it would happen, but it happened. As a lot of things have happened, you know, in a very um, lovely synchronicity since uh, since I started exploring this kind of life. So can you tell me more about your philanthropic work and what you are most excited about now that you are investing in or spending time developing? I guess philanthropic work, you know, I was interested in from like when I was small. I remember the first philanthropic activity I was involved in was when I was in elementary school. There was heavy flooding one year in Korea, and I had gotten a group of my friends together to donate a small bit of pocket money, and then we took it to a place where they were receiving donations. So that was sort of my first official activity. And at that time, it, had, it didn't really have anything to do with spirituality or what was happening in my inner life. It was just kind of a natural pull, you know, to do something for these people who are suffering from the flood. And, you know, I sort of lost touch with philanthropy for a while while I was just going through the busyness of career. And then when I met my husband, who had already established his foundation, you know, many years before, and his work is really about fulfilling the basic needs of people who are hungry, who don't have a roof over their heads, who need clothing. And so we do a lot of work to help the refugees through UNHCR and other organizations who are directly working with the refugees. This year and last year, we're especially trying to direct our funds towards COVID relief because there's so much suffering happening in the world that was completely unexpected. And there are so many places in the world that need help with just the basic food and medical equipments and the sanitary equipments and so on. So we've been working on that. But other than that... What I bring to our philanthropic work through our family foundation is sort of the spiritual side of it. My husband also has a very rich spiritual life, and he's been supporting a lot of spiritual leaders and small communities. And I also bring what I've been in contact with into our work together. So the reason we call our work mine is software and his is the hardware is that he really likes to provide sort of the basic infrastructure for for the livelihood of people and the survival of the people, the food, the the houses, the medical help and so on. And as I told you before, I like to plant the seed that opens up people to flourish and to have a richer and happier inner life. So I, I like to focus on the spiritual programs or education. So I guess we have those two sides to our philanthropic programs. From the perspective of planting seeds, is there any advice you have for philanthropists who are just getting started on their spiritual practice journey? I would say have a lot of compassion for yourself and understand your limitations and accept that. Be okay with that. And you may think it's strange because your question was, what's my advice to people who are, you know, getting started in philanthropic activity, which is to help other people? And why am I talking about self-compassion? Because I find that 
you can do philanthropic things without having a rich spiritual life. You don't necessarily have to be a spiritual person to help other people. It can be part of your personality. You can be mission driven. You, you see something to be accomplished in the world where governments and other organizations, other institutions are not fulfilling. You see a role for yourself. There could be many motivations to engage yourself in the philanthropic activity, but no matter what the initial motivation is or in the intention is, when you're trying to help other people, I think it really helps if you don't experience the fatigue or the over-emotion of being so empathetic to their plight that you lose your inner resources to be vibrant person yourself. And when you do that, when that happens to you, then you're not as efficient in helping others as well. And I have this conversation, especially recently with a lot of people, you know, what do you do when you feel like you're not helping enough people or you're not doing it enough? What is the sense of guilt? Where does it come from? How do you deal with it? And I think self-compassion really plays a role that you need to take care of yourself and to understand that you can do as much as you are able to do today, which doesn't mean that you cannot do more tomorrow or a year later, but that you shouldn't crush yourself and be in despair just because you cannot be perfect and accomplish everything today. On Sunday, I had an interesting conversation. We were talking about compassion and he said, he's a Buddhist and he said in Buddhism, compassion is the deep inner motivation to wish others well, which is separate from doing a compassionate act. So the action is separate from the intention. What this allows you to do is that you can have boundless intention to wish everybody well in the world. And we hope everybody feels that way. And then the actions yourself, you can understand the human limitations that we all have with the, the financial resources, the physical resources that we have, with our time and energy. And then we can do the best that we can do without being crushed by the weight of the guilt and the feeling of helplessness. Because we all know that there's so much work to be done in the world and so many people to be helped or so many things to be improved, but we may not be able to do everything today at this moment with what we have, but we can still have a lot of compassion and we can still think about what we can do tomorrow or the year after. So in that sense, you know, cultivating that self-compassion, I think is really an important part of doing healthy philanthropy. Thank you so much, Julianne, for that essential wisdom. Is there one place that people can go to learn more about your work? Yeah, we have a website, both for my publication and also for Kruger and Lee. So publication is sort of the, the wisdom part of it, and Kruger and Lee is sort of the active part of it. We actually host retreats and forums. But we became a, an official nonprofit in Switzerland last year. We're beginning to identify our work and slowly building things up. But you can definitely visit our website to see what's going on you know, drop us an email. Thank you so much. It has been such a joy to spend time with you today and to gain so much from your wisdom and your experience. Thank you for your great questions. 
Cultivate the Soul is presented by Synergos, copyright 2021. To learn more, visit Synergos.org and find more episodes at Synergos.org slash podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.